Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. My name is Emily, and I've always had a deep love for the wilderness. Becoming a park ranger was a dream come true. I had envisioned my days filled with fresh air, breathtaking vistas, and the gentle rustle of leaves. But nothing could have prepared me for what awaited at Hollow Pines National Park. It started innocently enough. The park superintendent assigned me to the Hollow Pines Ranger Station. As I drove deeper into the forest, the towering pines seemed to close in around me. The isolation was palpable, and the deafening silence only intensified my unease. It was like the forest held its breath, waiting. The ranger station itself was a relic of the past, a wooden structure with peeling paint and a sagging roof. Inside, the air was heavy with the weight of years gone by, and the walls seemed to echo with secrets. The previous rangers had left abruptly, leaving behind half-finished cups of coffee, personal effects scattered about, and journals filled with cryptic entries. I tried to dismiss the sense of foreboding that settled over me as I settled into my new home. Each night, I would sit by the creaking fireplace, 
poring over the old journals. The stories they contained were haunting. Tales of shadows that moved on their own, eerie whispers in the wind, and a feeling of being constantly watched. My fellow rangers had written of inexplicable fear that had gnawed at their sanity. One particularly chilling entry described a night when the forest came alive. Trees bent and twisted in unnatural ways, their branches forming grotesque shapes. The wind carried strange voices that seemed to speak directly into the rangers' minds. It was as though the forest itself had a malevolent consciousness. As the days turned into weeks, I couldn't shake the feeling of being observed. The isolation was overwhelming. One evening, as I sat reading an old journal, I heard a voice. Soft and delicate, it whispered my name, Emily. My heart raced as I searched the empty room, finding nothing amiss. I told myself it was my imagination playing tricks on me. But the whispers continued. They followed me wherever I went, faint and barely audible, but undeniably there. Emily. The voice seemed to come from the very walls of the ranger station, as if the building itself held a dark secret. The nights grew longer, and my sleep was plagued by nightmares. I would dream of twisted trees with gnarled branches reaching out to grasp me, their roots pulling me down into the earth. In my dreams, I could hear the voices of the previous rangers, their faces twisted in agony, warning me to leave before it was too late. One stormy night, the forest unleashed its fury. Thunder rumbled overhead, and lightning tore through the sky. The wind howled like a wounded beast, and rain pounded on the roof of the ranger station. It was then that I heard it, a chilling cry that rose above the storm, a cry that was not of this world. I grabbed a flashlight and ventured outside, my heart pounding in my chest. Through the rain and darkness, I saw them shadowy figures moving among the trees, their forms flickering in and out of existence. The whispers grew louder, an unintelligible cacophony of voices that seemed to come from all directions. In a panic, I stumbled back into the ranger station and locked the door. The voices followed me, seeping through the walls, invading my mind. I felt myself losing control, my thoughts slipping away. It was as though the forest itself had claimed me. I don't know how long I remained trapped in that nightmare, but when I awoke, the storm had passed and the forest was silent once more. I packed my belongings and left the Hollow Pines Ranger Station, leaving behind the haunted memories that still haunt my dreams. To this day, I can hear the whispers, faint but persistent. They follow me wherever I go, a reminder of the malevolent force that lurks within the Hollow Pines National Park, a force that will never let go of its hold on those who dare to enter its domain. I'm typing this just as I got home, and I'm getting more creeped out the more I think about this. So me and two friends were in the woods at a sort of park just outside of town. There's a cool scrapyard with a bunch of old quarry equipment that we were checking out, and by the time we're about to leave it's gone from dusk to dark. We use the flashlights on our phone to navigate out of the scrapyard until we get to the trail. Getting ready for a 10 minutes walk out, we decide to cut the lights and see if our eyes will adjust. This scrapyard's in an open part of the woods, and we were just going back into the tree line on the trail when I heard a stick crack and leaves rustling right to our left, about five feet in front of us right off the trail. Not knowing what this was, 
I stopped walking for a sec to make sure I wasn't just hearing things. I couldn't really see anything, but as I was pulling out my phone to turn on the flashlight, this weird, deep, but loud growl came from right in front of us. Right away, we all just sprinted away and back towards the scrapyard. We decided to go through the scrapyard and onto the trail on the other side that led right out to the road. But a 15 men walk away from the parking lot where my car was. When we got back to my car, there was a police car parked in front of me, blocking my car off. We saw the cop at the entrance to the trails with a flashlight on and waited for her to come to us. She asked us if we had seen a person in the woods and described him as five feet seven, wearing all black with long blonde hair. We asked her if he was missing and she said, no, he's not a missing person, but they're looking for him. We told her we hadn't and she took our names and we left. Upon leaving, we saw a total of 11 cop cars spread out, some together along this road beside the woods. I originally thought that we encountered a black bear. However, my friend who was with us hunts a lot and said it definitely wasn't a bear. And in fact, he had never heard an animal make a growl like that before. And I have to admit, neither have I. The growl sounded weirdly human, almost too perfectly scary. Plus, if it was a bear, by running away, we would have been mauled. I'm really confused and honestly creeped out. We've looked at several videos of different animals growling, but there's not too many where I live. Was it the guy the police were looking for? Was he insane or something? If it was this guy who growled at us, why? We are going back to the spot tomorrow, this time with some bear mace and knives, etc. Just in case to see if we can find any bear paw prints anywhere around. Update 1. According to our local Facebook groups, it was just a guy who was lost, and police located him about half an hour after we left. We did tell the police about where we heard the bear. Maybe it was something else. Maybe the guy was actually crazy. Going back there in half an hour, he'll keep updating. Update 2. We went back to the spot this morning and spent about an hour looking around for any clues as to what was growling at us. We couldn't see any prints or anything indicating something else was there. At this point, we're all still confused, and I think it's going to stay that way. Angler here. One night, while at my favorite fishing spot, my friend and I heard a noise. Now this sounded like some rustling about 10 feet or 3 meter away in some bushes. Now my friend called it off as just a rabbit but I insisted on listening. Now that was no rabbit, but instead steps. Well, in the region I'm from, we have quite a lot of coyotes. So we pass it off as a mangy, curious beast catching a glimpse of our fire. So to progress the night and feel easy, we began to make noise and toss sticks and rocks to the bush. After a lengthy sit by the fire and a few more pops, we headed home, leaving a few belongings behind. Well, when we returned the next day to retrieve our left belongings, we noticed two sets of tracks. One large, one small. These, my friends, belong to cats. Oh yes, one mighty big cat and her cub. The feeling I had in my stomach was not due to the beverages from the night before, but the feeling of cheating death. I drove to Peekskill in upstate New York with my wife to check on the property we had bought for our summer home. 
As we arrived at the entrance to a dirt trail leading to our land, I pulled the car off the highway and we both started walking towards the back of the property. The area was wooded and stretched about 300 yards before dropping off in a steep bank and continuing up the slope of the mountain or hill. We wandered around taking mental notes for our future house. As the sun began to set and darkness set in, we decided to make our way back to the highway, which was about a mile away. It was then that my wife called my attention to a light shining through the trees. In a particularly good mood and feeling calm and absent-minded, I didn't hesitate and started walking towards the light. We walked for about 200 feet until we reached a large rock. Suddenly, we noticed a shiny brassy-like object on the ground or slightly above it, accompanied by a figure standing next to it. We were both certain that the figure was that of a woman. For a brief moment, my mind seemed to go blank or numb, as I didn't feel afraid while trying to observe the figure. I wanted to take a peek inside the object, as its port or door was open. However, the interior appeared hazy or misty. Through the port, I could only make out a few glass-like rods with bluish spheres on their ends. There were also some black pipes visible. The top of the object had a brassy color, with a dimpled or hammered texture, while the bottom had a peculiar gleam similar to stainless steel dull and shiny at the same time. Pipes extended from the bottom of the top and went down to the edge of the object. The female entity standing nearby wore a black rubber-like hood that reached halfway down her back, and it seemed inflated as I could observe it pulsating or changing in size. The woman's fingers appeared unusually flexible, as I thought I saw them bending in a wrong way, although I couldn't be certain if it was due to the strange lighting. She held a tube in one hand, which connected to the port, and a black box with an attached wire in the other. Her face was covered by a plastic-like mask, and she wore goggles. The woman's eyes seemed luminous, shining through the dark goggles. It was at that moment that the realization struck me that this was not something to casually observe, and I began trembling like a leaf. My wife held onto my hand so tightly it hurt, seemingly frozen in place. I tugged at her, but she remained stiff as a board and wouldn't budge until I forcefully shook her. I half-dragged her into the car, started the engine, and sped away from there. After driving for about three miles, I stopped to check on my wife. She was pale as a sheet, her mouth moving, but unable to form words. I restarted the car, but found that I couldn't drive due to my feet and legs shaking uncontrollably. Later examination of the location revealed signs that a heavy oval object had been there at some point, or perhaps the area had been trampled over. I was in the sixth grade when I had my first real encounter with a supernatural creature of Appalachia. I live on a small off-road in the middle of the woods. Only about 13 give or take houses are on my road, so it's quiet at night. When I was a child in Appalachia, I was taught things to avoid any supernatural confrontation, but it was bound to happen one day. Some rules that I learned were, never be out alone after dark if you see it, no you didn't if you hear it, no you didn't, things along the lines of that. It was January and I had gone over to my friend's house who was about three houses away from mine, so not far. But it was winter and the sun goes down early and I had lost track of time and it was six and pitch dark outside. 
When we realized how dark it was already, she offered for me to just sleep over since she knew there was a possibility of me running into a supernatural creature. But I insisted I just walked home. She then offered to walk me home so I wouldn't be alone. Again, I said no. So I went outside into the frigid icy air and walked home. I had my phone flashlight on so I could see a creature from far away in an emergency. I walked home as normal looking at the beautiful icicles and snow piles everywhere and thought, I'll be fine. I was wrong. My driveway to get down to my front door is steep, and it goes down fast, and at the end is the woods. It's woods for at least five miles back. I walked down slowly since there was ice everywhere, and then I heard rustling in the bushes at the bottom of the driveway in the woods. I pointed my flash down and I saw a wolf, but it didn't look normal. Living in the Northeast, I see many wolves, but this one looked demented. Wolves won't strike at you or run up to you unless you provoke them, so I thought it would all be okay. I was about halfway down my driveway, and every step I took, the wolf looked more and more demented. It had glowing eyes, and it was very big to just be a wolf. At that time, it started moving towards me fast. Another rule I learned as a kid was to never run from one of those creatures. But I did run. My front door was locked, but I had a key in my hand. It took me what felt like forever to unlock the key as it jiggled in the keyhole. My anxiety was so bad, and even though it was 20 degrees out, I was sweating like crazy. Finally, the door unlocked, and I ran in. There is a window right next to my front door, and I looked out the door, and there it was. A skinwalker shapeshifted as a wolf. Its eyes were beady and cold, it was hungry. I looked away scared of what would happen next. After about a minute, it was gone never to be seen again. Every night for about two months after that, I was spooked to even close my eyes to sleep. It got so bad I had to start taking melatonin. I'm mostly fine now, but here and there, I still feel like this wolf was watching me. It still spooks me to this day. That was my first ever encounter with a supernatural creature, but many were to follow after that one. I had many stories to share about these creatures, but that's for another time. When I was a teenager in early 2000s, South London, there was a rumor in my high school that there was a naked man who looked like Father Christmas in the woods. We relished that story, but all secretly understood it to be an urban legend. After school, me and my friends would go to the park five minutes away from the school to play on the tire swing and make daisy chains, talk about boys, etc. The park was on a seam of ancient woods. It was more or less a rectangular shape with a large rectangular grassy green in the middle surrounded by woodland on three sides. The grassy green had a children's playground on the right-hand side, butting up to the woodland on one side. The children's playground was large, with an assortment of equipment for both young and older children, and was gated off from the rest of the park by two meters high metal railings. One summer's evening after school, we were hanging out in the children's park by the tire swing, as we usually did, when I noticed an unusual movement in the trees that bordered the other side of the metal railing. All I could see was a mixture of green and brown tones amidst the shadows of the in the woodland. So I approached the metal railings of the children's park to get a better view. The woodland had a kind of opening in it, at the center of which stood a large old oak tree. 
Dappled light filtered through the canopy to the foot of the oak tree, forming a natural stage before the audience of children's playground. As my eyes began to focus, I realized that right in the middle of the stage was a young man, about 30 years old, stood staring at us. A group of three teenage girls in their school uniforms. Our eyes transfixed for a moment before I looked down and screamed. My eyes locked on him in terror, but he did not avert his gaze. He stood there, watching us, while completely naked, touching himself vigorously. My friends ran over to my side and followed my eyeline. Horrified, they grabbed me, pulled me out of my shock and out of the park, and we ran home. It was just before the time when mobile phones were ubiquitous, so we did not call the police and that was the end of the matter. But 20 years later, I always wonder if that man went on to do anything worse. There was another incident that happened a little while later, but I don't know if it was connected. I spent three months in northwestern Utah in 1999 doing graduate field work. I was alone for almost all of it. I read Lord of the Rings, played guitar, laid in the dirt staring up at the stars. Very fun. Anyhow, one night as I was sleeping, I heard a strange noise see edit below around 3 a.m. that jolted me awake instantly. I was in a tent and about 30 feet away from me. I heard a grunt that lasted about four seconds. Maybe it was a throat clearing. It was an animal noise. Most alarmingly though, it had a definitely aggressive tone to it. It sounded like a challenge. There were no bears in the area, but mountain lions were possible, although quite rare. I didn't hear any of the insane mating calls for the three months. I sat bolt upright and grabbed my flashlight. I had no weapons with me other than a small knife, and that was somewhere with the cook gear. I waited, quiet as a mouse, for about 30 seconds listening for any noise. It was dead quiet. I could have heard anything, but not a single sound. As quietly as I could, but it sounded like when you're opening a bag of chips when you're trying not to make a sound. I positioned myself at the tent zipper, then suddenly yanked it open and shined the flashlight. Nothing. Then I bolted for the truck about 50 yards away. I made it and looked around with the flashlight. Nothing. It was out there watching me unless it ran away when I ran to the truck. I had the window cracked a bit and watched and listened for about an hour. Nothing. I laid down in the back and tried to sleep, but it was quite chilly and I was wearing only a pair of underwear and my huge scratchy wool sweater that was luckily in the back seat. The next morning I looked for tracks but saw nothing. And for the next six or so weeks, I slept in the back of the truck. My younger brother was in his room carrying out a conversation which was weird because we were alone at home. I went to see who he was talking to. There was no one there, so I asked him who he was talking to. He said the little girl with the black eyes. I asked where she was, and he said that she had left. I thought he'd just lying. About a week later, we started hearing voices and footsteps. I would be sleeping with my blankets covering me, and I would wake up with them folded at the bottom of my bed. My sister got scared one night and crawled into bed with me. As she was getting into my bed, I woke up, so I turned on my TV. I also turned on my light to find the remote. I left the light on along with the TV. 
Right when we were both drifting off to sleep, my door slammed shut, which is almost impossible as I always have a basket full of books in front of the door. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So that it doesn't close. The light then shut off, and my TV picture went off with static noise. I got up and went to the door. I tried to open it, but it was like someone was holding the door handle from the outside. My sister and I started to scream when my mom came and opened the door. As she did, the light turned back on and the TV picture came back. We had a priest bless the house, but the activity continues. The house was built in 2003 and no one has died there. We need help. Once while I was trekking with my family up a mountain in India, there was no trail or anything, we were just climbing. Once we reached the top, we saw this little hidden, almost stage-like area with a tree, a pool, and steps. Not that creepy, right? Except the entire tree was covered in old clothes. The pool was too, and also with toys and footwear. Not new clothes, but quite visibly worn ones. It looked like it had all happened in a hurry, but there were close to 200-250 clothing items there. It was so scary, we hightailed it out of there. When we returned to the hotel, we asked the staff about it. The manager said that the locals believed the fort on the other side of the hill to be haunted, and that there are various witchcraft cults in the area. He said never to go in the hills at night. This was the creepiest experience ever. A few years ago, I found myself sitting on the edge of a cornfield, shotgun in hand, early deer season. I wasn't there long before a group of does walked right up to me. Since I was just there for meat and not picky, I picked one out, set my sights on her shoulder, and pulled the trigger. It was a solid hit, and she fell as fast as she ran. Only made it a dozen yards or so before collapsing in a twisted heap. Now the other four or five does that were with her ran in the same direction and stopped where she fell. They all just stood there, standing around her, looking down at her for a minute and trying to make sense of it. Then the danger they were in dawned on them and they all took off. I got up and walked over to the deer and sat down and stroked her fur. I had this kind of overwhelming feeling that I had shattered some sort of primordial ancient balance. I wasn't part of it all, I wasn't some predator stalking prey to survive, I was some guy who had come out to the woods to impose his will, and for no other reason that I just preferred the taste of meat. I wasn't starving, I felt like a bully. I had taken a gun and violently punched a hole in an animal clearly capable of thought and sentience, just because I felt like it. I sobbed as I got the deer and dragged her back to the truck. I took her home and she fed my family for a while. We made candles and soap from the fat and I donated the hide. But after that I was done. 
I realized then that even just going to the grocery store to buy a pound of burger was basically just the same, or even worse, since those animals never had a chance to live freely. So I decided that in good conscience I could no longer eat meat if I wasn't starving. I can easily sustain my life without it, and so I think I should do that. Suwon Air Base, 1989 There was an old ghost story about some security police Air Force NPS, or some Republic of Korea Air Force NPS that were on duty near the end of runway when they freaked out because B-17s were landing at the base. Now at the time, we'd all heard the ghost stories of the B-17s at RAF, Lakenheath, was it? I don't remember, all I remember was the story. Well, at the time, in order to complete a loop around the perimeter road, you had to cross the active runway, and there were ROK FSPS that guarded it so that no traffic would cross without clearance from the tower. My friend and I would walk this road at night, sometimes just for something to do, get a little exercise, whatever. One night on one of such walks, we got this fog rolling in. Unlike any other fog I've ever seen, like visibility was about five feet. Usually, it was somewhere around 50 feet, but they would make us walk the truck's home lower-ranking airmen walking the white line with a flashlight, usually a Lachlan laser in front of the truck, so the driver knew not to run off the road, drive into the other lane, or run over said airmen. But I digress. The fog was bad, and dead silence ensued. We had walked around to the entry control point where the Rockaf guys were stationed, and we shined our flashlights and presented our flight line clearance badges line badges to us. But we didn't expect them to let us pass because we would be walking on the active runway for a few hundred yards and besides. They never let us before, but we always tried anyway. Right in the middle of our plea to cross, we all heard planes. Prop jobs. Big ones. Not turboprops like the sound of a C-123 or C-130, but very distinct radial engines, and lots of them. Being that Air Force bases host a lot of air shows, you tend to be able to pick out certain engine types, and these were definitely not turboprops. I've only heard these engines on the old girls flying at air shows. Nothing should have been airborne in fog that thick. Even the mosquitoes were grounded that night. The two Koreans PS just looked at us, looked at each other, and then noped the F out. Left their shack, got into their truck, and drove off, leaving us standing there. We never saw anything, but we heard several large aircraft fly over the base in an approach pattern, but nothing ever touched down. Since we had not been told we couldn't cross, we went ahead and crossed the road and the active runway, shortening our walk to about a half mile back to the barracks. My friend and I never spoke about it. These events have never kept me from going back into the woods. The Keweenaw Peninsula in Michigan. Myself and a friend have a decently remote camping spot not far from Lake Superior. We've been going up there for 12 years, usually twice a year, once in the spring and once in the fall. On two such trips, both in the fall, our campsite has been stalked by wolves. They come within 30 yards of camp, always at night. You never hear them howl, you can just hear them walking through the brush. We've caught glimpses of them using those high-lumen battery-powered LEDs. 
They do not run when yelled at, which is scary as shit. It's kind of freaky sitting by a small campfire and have wolves come check you out. We never shoot at them, but two shots from a 44 mag and they never come back. We've also had bears wander into camp while we are sleeping. Loud, clumsy FS, not nearly as eerie or frightening. Yelling at them does the trick and they take off. In college, I spent one month house sitting a large hunting estate in the middle of nowhere Idaho. The nearest town was 22 miles away. Woke up on the middle of the night to the sound of someone knocking loud and hard on the front door and the dogs were going nuts. No way I was going to answer it. I just grabbed the gun and kept quiet upstairs. Next morning, there was a car in the driveway. The guy who owned the car was found dead several months later. I have no idea what happened. Edit, I feel kind of bad. I should have put some more info in there. It was late last night. Here is everything I know. It was June 1987. I know it was 87 because it was the baseball season after the Bill Buckner disaster. My girlfriend's parents owned the place. It was in southeast Idaho. I'm not going to say what town it was 22 miles from because they might still own it. And I don't want this to get more weirder than it already is. It was a pretty big place with a lot of acreage. The guy who was the full-time caretaker for the place had just quit. My girlfriend's dad went out there to find a new caretaker, but the new caretaker couldn't start for one month. Her dad offered to pay me $1,200 to go out there. Free food, satellite TV, one of those huge dishes from back then, and free booze. All I had to do was keep an eye on the place and feed the dogs and the horse. I had never been out west, so I took him up it. It sounded better than doing landscaping. I spent the time reading and exploring, playing with the dogs, riding the horse, shooting. Completely uneventful experience until that night. That night, after the knocking stopped and dogs stopped barking, I eventually went back to sleep. I didn't freak out all that much because there were two German shepherds inside with me, and I had a gun. I kept it on the nightstand. I had been drinking a little, but not drunk by any means. There were several neighbors that were a few miles away. I was kind of thinking someone just simply drove up the wrong driveway. Next morning at crack of dawn, I opened the front door to let the dogs out and see a white Chevy Nova sitting in the driveway. It was near the small cabin for the caretaker. The cabin was about 100 yards from the main house. I called my girlfriend's dad and asked him if he knew anyone with that make or model car and told him about what had happened the night before. He didn't know anyone and he called the police directly. Police show up, ask me a few questions and walk around the property for about an hour or so. The car was locked, the police had it towed. I have no idea if it was broke down or not. There was only one set of tire tracks coming into the house. A few days later, my girlfriend's dad called me up to say the guy who owned that car was missing and to call the police if anything weird happened again. I have no idea who the guy was at all. Don't know how long he was missing or when he was reported missing. Or who reported him missing. He was just missing. Girlfriend's dad didn't know that much. After one month, I go back home. Girlfriend and I break up shortly thereafter. I see her out on the town several months later, and I ask her if she ever found out what happened to that guy. 
All she knows is the guy was found dead by S 30 miles away. The S happened several months after that incident at the house, and he was found a couple of days after he had killed himself. I asked her how he did it, where he was he found, who found him, etc. And I got nothing. I never saw her again. You all now know just as much as I know. I feel your pain. In Yellowstone, a few weeks back, I listened to your podcast covering human and animal killings. Super creepy, especially if men are really being found killed like cattle. So of course I tell my hiking buddies all about the episode as the sun sets and really freaks them out. The night is nice, stars are out. The next day I came across a dead rodent right in the middle of the trail that looked to have all the signs of animal killings. Eyes are removed, there's a hole at the back of his head that appears to be black or burned. Eye sockets also have a black burned look to them. I obviously didn't check if his spine and organs were there but there was no blood and no insects on the body. Who knows if that was just like the work of bugs and sun, but I thought the timing was so stange. I have a video of this animal I'll upload later if I have time. But it is really strange because over thousands of miles I've seen plenty of dead animals in various states of decay, but this rodent looked perfectly preserved except it was missing eyes, and there was just that hole at the back of his head maybe half an inch wide that appeared blackened and cauterized or burnt. I've never seen this before and there's the timing of it all. Places totally have vibes to them. Some places that we walk through are straight up hair raising and I can never figure out why, yet I've confirmed it with other hikers. They'll usually ask, hey, did you feel weird back there? And they always go, yeah, I did. It just didn't feel right. One place in Utah comes to mind. It was a short day hike I did with my girlfriend in Canyonlands NP. Forget the name, but the trail took you up the side of an old crater. I think they theorize it was a meteor strike ages ago, but don't really know. Anyway, we got to a spot, sat down, and were immediately overcome with this incredible lethargy to the point where we both wanted to fall asleep on that rock. I'm a pretty disciplined hiker, so I stood up and said we can't dally here. Oddly, I also had this gut feeling that we shouldn't fall asleep there. And also, weirdly, my girlfriend said offhand in a joking manner to some other day hikers coming up the trail. Be careful up there. There's a vortex that will suck you in and put you to sleep. She meant vortex in the hiker context of a town that'll suck you in and keep you doing unplanned zeros. But still, odd choice of language, right? And I'm reminded of cases of UFO and fairy abductions that start with people inexplicably falling asleep in the woods in the middle of the day. Speaking of weird places, the AT crosses through an area known as the Bennington Triangle. Going south, you'll cross over Glastonbury Mountain and then enter the town of Bennington. Apparently, there were four or five missing 411-style disappearances there in the 1940s. Google it. Really interesting stories. And the natives avoided the area because they believed devils lived on the mountain. When I walked through the day before I had written a blog post about how the trail was teaching me to follow my gut, and how following my gut always seemed to save me from storms and other things like that, and just generally turn out good. Well, this day I was planning to go through a small town called Manchester Center, then climb onto Glastonbury Mountain and camp on the mountain. 
In Manchester Center, I eat a burrito and have the worst stomach cramps I've ever had. Tried using the bathroom to wait it out, nothing. So book a room in a motel. Literally the second I've paid and get to the room, my stomach pain goes away. This was cramped so bad that I was walking hunched over that just disappeared in the matter of seconds. But I'd already paid, so I stayed. No diarrhea or anything that day. Everything 100% normal after I changed my plans. Climbed the mountain and went into Bennington the next day. Only after I realized that I would have been on the mountain on the night of the full moon. Is that relevant? No idea, but it just struck me as very, very odd how I wrote about following my gut. And then my gut literally forced me to not climb that mountain. Oh, on the way down is where the long trail and the it intersect. And that intersection is where a young woman disappeared in the 40s without a trace. Weird. Now that I'm thinking of weird places with bad vibes, I'm reminded of this small five-mile loop I do at home in Missouri. When I walk this, I usually always stopped about three miles in and turned around. No real reason, that's just what I always did. Went in there maybe four years ago with an ex-girlfriend, and we ate about one 5G of shrooms each. The first hours of the trip were great hanging out about a mile into the loop. Then we decided to hike more and entered the section that I unintentionally avoided. It was so strange. The only way I can describe it is that it felt like evil descended on us. I'm getting goosebumps as I write this. I felt this deep pit of despair and depression come out of nowhere, and I just knew that that year was when I was going to die. I knew that our relationship was over. We both got real quiet and didn't talk for about half an hour. Then came to this ledge and I kept getting these horrible images of her running full speed charging off this like 80 feet ledge. Then all of a sudden the oppressive energy lifted and we both just burst out like, did you feel that what the hell? So she also felt that incredibly negative energy and felt that we were done. Our reactions were very interesting. We both felt like we should focus more on spirituality and develop a stronger spiritual base. I kept having the thought that the greatest lie is that there is no good and evil in this world. If you believe this, then you're truly vulnerable to true evil. So after this experience, we got into hypnosis a little. She could fall into trance very easily. One session, I took her back to that day, and she absolutely freaked. She said that we were attacked by a demon who attacked those who were undecided. Now I'm not religious at all, and still am not, and I think this is her Catholic upbringing coloring her experience. But I do think there was something very evil there that day in the woods. Also, it's fascinating that I just avoided that place intuitively right. Even with these experiences and all the content I listened to regarding the paranormal and missing 411, I don't feel at all threatened or in danger in the wild. I'd say 99% of my time out there, I feel as comfortable as if I were sitting on my couch at home. We were built to be in nature and the woods and the wild really are not a threatening place. Spend enough time out there and you truly will feel right at home. Night hiking alone is freaky at first, but like anything else you get used to it. It's very peaceful to just walk through the woods bathed in the little glow from your headlamp. It feels a lot like a voyage into another dimension. Funny enough, I ended up getting off trail right when I hit New Mexico. Got gyrodia and ended up puking and shitting my guts out. 
dropped from 178 to 162 pounds in under two weeks. It did make me wonder though if my gut wasn't protecting me again, because New Mexico and the reservation lands are famous for their skinwalkers, and I did feel like I was kind of stirring up their attention by writing and talking about them throughout my trip. But none of these is even close to the greatest danger out there. I came the closest to death I ever have on trail right before I left. This was San Juan's in Colorado. We were pushing through late in the season, and we got three straight days of freezing rain. It was horrible. One night, everyone else got ahead of me, and I was pushing up a pass at 12.5 k feet, followed by a one-mile ridge walk at 12 k feet. Pushed over the pass right as the sun set and freezing rain started up again combined with winds that were blowing 40-50 miles per hour. I'm so incredibly cold at this point, but there's nothing that can be done about it but to keep moving. You can't layer up beyond your rain gear because anything else will just become soaked and useless. Then my glasses start freezing in the rain and I'm getting a horrible refraction glare from my headlamp that combined with the clouds and freezing rain enveloping the mountain top brings my visibility down to about a foot. Then I lose the trail, so now I'm just literally on the side of the mountain hiking on the side of some pretty steep grades. Steep enough that if I were to lose my footing I'd slide or fall dozens, if not hundreds of feet and possibly off a cliff because those are certainly abundant in the San Juans. At this point I can feel panic and bile at the back of my throat, but I know if I panic I'm dead so I just focus and keep moving in the direction where I think the trail is. Eventually I see the light from headlamps up ahead, and it was my hiking buddies who were all huddled under a tarp. We never did make it to our intended campsite, and instead had a sleepless night huddled under the big tarp, all trying to stay warm. I've never been so cold in my life. When we finally got to town, I realized feeling wasn't coming back into the tips of my fingers, and it took about a week before that numbness went away. Out of all the dangers in the wild, nature tops it all.